Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a very funny comedian who's been on Conan, Comedy Central, and Comedy Bang Bang. Please welcome Alan Strickland-Williams. Uh, not much. Very excited to have you on. Big fan of your comedy. Yeah, and when we first started talking, you said that horror is not necessarily your favorite genre. And I'm curious to hear a little bit about your history with it, if there was something that scared you in a formative way or, or something like that. Yeah, I don't even know if it's like that deep or anything. It's more just like, I mean, I do remember when I was a kid, I think the scariest movie to me as a kid which looking back now, I don't think it's actually that scary, but as a child, Arachnophobia was like the scariest movie to me. I don't know why. I mean, growing up, I'm from Florida and like, there are a lot of bugs. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know, maybe that, that's what it is. Big old spiders. Uh, Yeah. Like it rang true or something. But, But yeah, for the most part, I think it's just that like, if I'm looking to like watch a movie or something, it's like, I don't necessarily like being scared is not what I'm, what I go towards. Mm-hmm. Now that, that being said, Reese, I think there was a turning point when I saw Cabin in the Woods. Oh yeah. That, that's the one that's kind of like meta yep. and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I was like, okay, I really dig this. And that kind of led me to more, like one of my friends is a super big, like horror guy. And so every once in a while I'll watch something with him or he'll give me recommendations. So I, I've definitely kind of gotten more into it as I got older, but yeah, I was just sort of like, you know, also it's just like a lot of horror fans are like super horror fans. So I'm like, I'm always like, I feel like I'm not going to have anything to contribute, (laughs) but you know, since you kind of said like you kind of opened it up a little bit. Yeah. I love some of the more outside the box picks because you know, everyone can talk about Halloween until their fucking face is blue. You know, uh, everyone's covered it and talked about it to death. But, you know, a movie like today's pick is not something that gets covered on every show. And I think that it's a movie that absolutely deserves the sort of look that we're going to give it today. I think that we get some really special picks out of uh, talking to people who part of what's best to them is is that there is crossover, that it Mm -hmm. transcends sort of just what people might necessarily think of as horror. Right. Yeah. And it's like it's it's funny too rewatching this one. There are moments, there's like, there's one moment in particular every time that scares me. Like, <laughs> I, like I, I react like it almost a jump scare or something. So, and you know, it's funny too. It's like, like get out or something like, yeah, that's definitely a horror, but it's also like super funny. Yeah. So it's like, I, I like that too about horror. And it, it's also, it's like the pacing of a horror movie is a lot like a comedy. Yeah. And you know, that's, I would say t- comedy is typically kind of what I, what I usually go towards, but the pacing of it, the rhythm of it, like just a bunch of blood is funny. Like a lot of gore is fun. like, you know, it's like over the top. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned being really into Cabin in the Woods. Do you find that horror comedies tend to speak to you more as something to have like an easier way in? Or do you feel like you're judging it on a harder scale because you're like, oh, well, it's not as funny as I maybe would it would like it to be? No, no, I think one, and especially like that movie is just genuinely really funny. Yeah, right. So it's like, I don't think I'm too critical with a lot of stuff. I kind of like take stuff for what it is. Mm -hmm. But that one in particular, I just was like, I think one thing of it, it's almost even more the meta thing because it's very hard. I think it's just hard for me to suspend disbelief or whatever. (laughs) So, So if they're like addressing that in some way, in the script or like a function of the movie or the killer or, or some way mm-hmm. 
it's just it's easier for me to buy it, mm-hmm. even though you're kind of also saying that it's a fake horror movie or whatever you <laughs> want to say. But yeah, yeah, I I definitely think that the realism in today's movie probably helps a lot with that. And let's get into it. Today's movie is Dogtooth, directed by my man, Yorgos Lanthimos. He's come up a few times on the show as a comparison point for me, so I'm really stoked to finally be actually talking about one of his movies. Oh, cool. I love The Lobster in particular. is one of my favorites of the last probably decade or whatever. But I, I loved The Lobster. I saw The Lobster in theaters by myself, and there were, like, dates. It was me and, like, I think three couples and like that scene where like she did like the opening where she just like shoots the horse. Right. Uh, it's like her ex or whatever. <laughs> like uh, I just like started clapping <laughs> in the theater and laughing. And everyone was like, oh, my God, this guy's insane. But yeah, like to me, like Dogtooth in particular, but Yorgos, like he just, you know, even the favorite, which is pretty far away from from. It's probably the most traditional thing, I guess you could say, he's ever done. Mm-hmm. There's still some stuff in there that is, like, very, what's the word, like, distressing, scary, very tense, very good at, like, building tension. Yeah. Obviously, that's a huge thing. But, um, but yeah, I'm glad that we're talking about it. I think it's just, it's also, like, it's a movie about family. Hell, yeah. <laughs> Dog, too. <laughs> in that way, it's sort of p- part of the Fast and Furious family, you know? It's, yeah, it's really yeah. part of that universe. Yeah, I'd love to see Vin Diesel's Dog, too. <laughs> I want to see that. Dogtooth is from 2009. According to a DVD interview, it was initially conceived of as a sci-fi world where kids acquire bad personality traits like a virus. And mm. and we follow one nameless family trying to cling to their values. And honestly, that could still be the backstory. <laughs> like, it's never yeah. really explored in a way that says yay or nay to that being the world that it takes place in. So I mm-hmm. think that that's a, a fun little <laughs> tidbit that he initially thought of. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. The family is uh, Christos uh, Sturg... Oh, boy. <laughs> There's a lot of Greek names here that I'm going to try, yeah, yeah, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Christos Sturgioglu as the father, Michelle Valley as the mother, uh, Angeliki Papadulia as the older daughter, Mary Sioni as the younger daughter, and Christos Pasalis as the son. And they ne- they never get any names until the very end. <laughs> One of them right. gets a name. But, you know, that kind of creates a barrier in, a, in an interesting way that helps to create the sort of disaffect between us as an audience and the family in a really interesting way. Well, and that's sort of like the whole, you know, <clears throat> they live in a compound. There's a wall. There's also like the metaphorical wall of like the family is keeping them separate from the world. Right. If there is any outside intervention, it's like very controlled and very patrolled. Yeah. It's funny. It's like the barrier thing is, I know a lot of people like when you're younger and you think about like maybe having kids, you'll be like, I'm going to teach my kids the word for car is butt or like whatever. Like, you know, <laughs> just seriously like that. But that's like literally like there's a scene where she's like, can you pass me the telephone? And it's like a salt shaker. And yeah. so it's sort of like this very childish mentality blown up and like made more terrifying because it's like affecting this family and these people's lives and shit. Yeah, absolutely. The movie is an early entrant in the Greek weird movement, is what it's called, Mm -hmm. uh, an absurdist reaction to their country's debt crisis. And this tends to present as a lot of static, wide-shot compositions, gauzy lighting to create sort of a dreamlike atmosphere. 
uh, and an ambiguous tone, which creates an aesthetic tension with the intentional provocation of the movie. Like you said, it is taking this childish thought to an extreme that does provoke you as as someone who's like, oh, this is like abuse, mm-hmm. what they're doing mm-hmm. in a really psychologically fucked up way. Well, it's funny too, thinking about the like sort of visual tone of it. And obviously there's like a dialogue tone too or whatever, but it's funny, like I was rewatching it and I was like, God, some of these shots are really beautiful and really pretty. Their house is really nice. They have a pool. They have like this huge garden. Yeah. And so that's kind of, what is it called? The Garden of Eden or Paradise or whatever. It's like, you know, they probably have everything they could ever want. I think about it, I'm like, fuck, it's like sunny and there's a pool. Like what else, you know, what's wrong? Right. But, you know, the being unable to, what's the word? This is like curiosity killed the cat. I mean, literally curiosity killed the cat. Like in the movie. (laughs) Sure, the claustrophobia builds. Yeah, exactly. No matter how nice the, the prison is, it's still a prison. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Now, an interesting piece of this movement is the way the filmmakers in the fog, which is the name that they gave themselves, which was a, a group of 140 directors, they worked together to produce one another's movies to save money, and they threatened a boycott of their version of the Academy Awards unless funding laws were changed and everything. And this working together is demonstrated in this movie by Yorgos co-writing uh, with uh, another director... Ephthymus Philippou, Mm -hmm. uh, which leads to sort of this incestuous blending of styles in creating the movement, and uh, topics did tend to include re-examining relationships, which obviously Greek culture is big on family and everything, so that also lends a lot into why this movement sort of is so focused on re-examining the dynamics between people. Yeah, that's interesting, man. I didn't, I I was just reading up on it too about, I guess, a lot of people that worked on the movie volunteered and the you know it's funny like in in every other country it sounds like it's like this where it's like the greek government like put up money for it they got funding from the government which is kind of crazy because also you know i didn't think about the timing of it and that it would be a reaction to the debt crisis but it's kind of funny that it's like they're criticizing and and knowing that now i'm like oh i can see it it's like it's criticizing the patriarchy. It's criticizing like the traditional family, this sort of, we know best and we're going to take care of you. Like, obviously I can see how it's a, a backlash to like maybe that in the government, but it's just funny because it's like, well, but the government paid for it too. <laughs> so it's sort of like, I mean, I guess that really is like what you hope art to be and what you hope the, I mean, that's one thing that, you know, where our country just doesn't, excuse me, just doesn't fucking do that. Fun yeah. Yeah. Right? They just, it's like, they have no interest in doing that. So, they no interest in finding anything. So it, it's right. so it's sort of like interesting to me that it's just such a fucked up, such a fucked up weird movie and obviously a weird movement, but that had literal financial support from the the thing that it's maybe not the biggest thing it's Criticism, good, but yeah, yeah exactly yeah it's really cool yeah. And part of the complexity of the movement and what makes it interesting to me is that it comes from the mix of absurdity with that detached realism that I was talking about. You know, despite what's happening on screen, it never feels out of the realm of possibility that, like, this could happen to a family Mm -hmm. if they just kind of retreated into themselves. Mm -hmm. It definitely reminded me of, like, I saw this thing on Netflix. I forget what it was called, but it's basically, like, this incredibly fundamentalist offshoot of the Mormon church, which is already kind of, you know, you know, sure. uh, fundamentalist or whatever you want to say. And it was like these people like literally lived in a rock, like the house was built into these rocks and they thought they, they considered this rock, the ark. And wow. it's like four families and they all kind of intermingle and stuff. And it's like, 
it dev- I'm like, you know, yeah, you, the, it, the way that they grounded it and the fact that it's like, it's not too sensational, even the like, and the, the, the fucking dad character is so crazy because he's so methodical, <laughs> like in a way, yeah. in like sort of like a, like a way that maybe like in a splasher movie, like the killer's plotting and always sort of just always on the move, even if it's slowly yeah. like that, that I think is a part of it that like keeps it so grounded because it's like, it's just so deliberate. Mm-hmm the way that he like consults with the mom about what to do. And then there's one line that was there, like when the there's the cat and the the brother kills the cat that ventures into the garden. And then he, they're obviously that's like a problem because they're like, how can they, they're going to explain this? And the way that he says that he's like, Oh, it'll be a good opportunity to, to like right. to, to educate or whatever. I'm like, Oh, that's really scary. Yeah. I, I really think that that moment is, is, really emblematic of sort of what is scary about the the movie that he his his first reaction to this is how can we leverage this to make our lie even more believable and scary to them absolutely yeah and this sort of contrast was definitely on Yorgos's mind. At one point, he said, To really go deep into things, the film had to be violent and at the same time have a great sense of humor. <laughs> with the contradiction of being in an open space with sunlight and a beautiful garden and beautiful children... I think it brings out the most intense and powerful emotions when you experience contradictions like this. By employing a certain sense of humor, you essentially get more serious about things and show conflict more effectively than if you are overly dramatic or only violent, because that's a one-way approach that just forces audiences to watch something appalling. Right. And I think that that is on clear display here. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, we were kind of talking about that. It's like, there's one shot where it's like you can see the reflection of the water moving just against the leaves of the tree. And it's, I yeah. think it's near the end. And it's just like so pretty. And it just made me laugh. I'm just like, oh my God, it's like all this fucked up stuff is happening in this beautiful location. But yeah, it definitely is um, more interesting that way for, for sure. And to make it, you know, I that's kind of the thing too with a lot of horror, I think. And you know, there's a lot of bad stuff in every genre. But like when something is just kind of like, hits you over the head and there's nothing else to it i think that's part mm. of it too do you get it it's about trauma exactly yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yep <laughs> this blurring the boundaries of genre then further applies to blur the boundaries of animal and man in the movie and also the definitions of words uh, lots of discussion of language i'm curious if that is something that appeals to you as a comedian who makes their business in words you know if this sort of perversion and subversion of language is something that sticks out to you in this movie totally i do love that i always love stuff like that and actually as you're saying that it reminded me of the scene where he's trying to get his dog trained and so it's like they show like this like really menacing dog like being trained and then the the dad says he wants the dog back early and the guy's kind of explaining no you know we're we're training him it's part of a process and there's a line at the end who's like you got to decide do you want an animal or do you want a friend and i was like yep. that's pretty much like the whole thing right there sure but yeah i love that stuff and i and i you know also i do I also am juvenile, so I do think it's funny to like <laughs> lie to your children <laughs> or whatever, whatever you want to phrase it. And like, I mean, also he's like, "Oh, do you want to hear your grandfather sing?" And then it's a it's Frank Sinatra oh, song, yeah. and he's kind of trans, he's fake translating it as it happens. That to me is like, you know, that. And they're and like the shots of the kids are eating it up. They're loving it. They're, they're like in heaven. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it's like, oh my god, yeah, words are powerful or whatever you want to say, depending on how you use them, but. That definitely does appeal to me. And I think that I think that it, the writer, like, you know, obviously Yorgos directed it as well, but 
I've never I've never tried to find the screenplay for this, and also, also I don't know. It's probably not. I wonder if it's in Greek. It might not be in English. But if it, <laughs> if there is a translation, I would love to read it just because it's like I think it would make a very good screenplay to watch just because mm-hmm. of how they laid everything out. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that it is kind of like a juvenile fun idea to like lie to your kids. But I also think that like as classic like stoner conversation where you're like at one point they're like, oh, there's apple in that juice. And I'm like, what if her apple is not the yeah, same apple, okay. bro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like blue, the blue I see is different than the blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very like dorm room <laughs> shit. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Another piece of art that I think is easy to draw a connection to with this movie uh, is the Rene Magritte series called La Clef des Songs, uh, The Key of Dreams, where he incorrectly assigns names to items. Like there's a hat labeled snow, a shoe labeled the moon, oh, a horse labeled a door. I've never heard of these. I'm, I'm looking at these right now. These are cool. Okay, so this is, yeah, this is, really this is the pipe guy, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I think that where it really becomes interesting is that one of them has a, a valis labeled as a valis uh-huh. correctly. Uh-huh. And rather than undermine the dissociation between form and label, I think that what it does is question sort of the normalization of words that are just as correct or incorrect. And in a way, we're imprisoned in a communication with others who also agree that that's the word for mm-hmm. it. Metaphorically stuck in a gated house with them. Damn, yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, I'm looking at these. I love that guy. Magritte, he rules. That's interesting. Uh, it's also, it's funny, there's, there's like updated versions of them that are like fake. It's like the, it's like there's one that's made out of all cat memes. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that stuff like that is also really, you know, I don't know, I, I, I don't really... I think I have too much to add because what you said was very. Uh, I feel like you have to turn in an essay, and you, the way you, <laughs> the way you write them is by doing these podcasts, which I really enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> no essays here, unfortunately. I'm not very, getting any credit. Very for well these. thought out. Well, I'll give you credit then. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's fine. I I just also really just like Magritte's work. Uh, The last episode that we just recorded was about Videodrome, and sort of the idea of the new flesh is that these recordings will outlive Mm -hmm, my body, mm -hmm. in theory, and so this is, in some ways, the new me. It's more real than the real fleshy George, and the idea of that pipe painting that he did, and, and is that actually a recreation of George, or is it just the George that people see, like the presented George? Mm-hmm. It's, it's all, it's, you know, very uh, prescient mm-hmm. work. <laughs> but any discussion about the way language and control of that, and the way that controls people, well, you know, of course, obviously, call to mind general propaganda techniques and fascism, but there is a semi-unique Greek element here in that the replacement of Katharvusa Greek with Demotic Greek and questioning the standardization of language was happening in the 70s. So when he was still very much in his formative years and the former language was already a compromise between ancient Greek and vernacular and was used almost exclusively for like formal official business. And it was abandoned by government decree in 1976. And as you can imagine... Any big government change like that is going to spur a lot sure, of controversy, yeah. especially when it's like a move forward like that. You get people who go, oh, the good old days when when men were men and mm-hmm. fucking we used the one kind of Greek instead of demonic. No, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. So I guess is that saying that the new version is more like more informal 
or more like of the people or whatever you want to say. Right. Uh, that's cool. Interesting. And people in the North American climate may be more familiar with a sort of similar argument about standardization if you squint about like using French in Montreal and how they're trying to make it more of an omnipresent thing mm -hmm. than having English be as popular there. So, you know, just kind of an interesting concept of like deciding to stamp out a language or use it to reinforce certain kinds of behavior. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, there is a strong element of questioning like the white lies of for our own good that the father and everything is doing here. This not only plays into, a, a, I think, a pretty strong allegory, as you sort of alluded to as well, of the story of Eden, mm -hmm. but also the entire idea that the family is a patriarch, his wife, and his children. Mm -hmm. The Greek Orthodox Church is still strongly homophobic and immensely powerful in Greece, and this movie, I think, questions that with one of the relationships that we'll see, as well as the father's viewing himself as a benevolent dictator who's perfect family unit is threatened by this sort of outside right 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 <laughs> yeah it's almost like the threat of because what really it's funny because what really like is the breaking point for everything is the art it's like the outside art that hasn't been approved yes it's it's because it's like okay sinatra's okay if you know he can sit by the record player and like <laughs> translate it as it comes out right you know obviously like that's interesting, too, because I love the fucking weird-ass scene where the brother's playing the guitar, and it's like a it's like a classical Greek like <laughs> sort of thing or some sort of Mediterranean vibe to it. And then, like, you know, the girls are doing this, like, weird little dance. And I don't know. I don't know how much of that is actually traditional, but obviously it's like a stand-in for, like, this is traditional art, this is sanctioned art, and then flash dance or Rocky Hell or whatever yeah. the fuck, uh, the, the tape. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, like that's the shit that he won't abide. And that really sets him off. And that, that's like the scene to me when he confronts the security guard lady, that to me is mm -hmm. like, I always forget that that scene's going to happen. And every time it does, oh, I'm like, brutal. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. So that, that, but also like that to me is probably when you asked me, you're like, Oh, well, you know, you can open it up a little bit. To, to hor like not not exactly horror movies i was like well let me think of stuff that stuff that scares me and i was like oh yeah that's and this is maybe one of my top three top five movies i remember seeing this i remember reading about it in some whatever and just like literally hearing that it was weird and uh <laughs> and, and i think it was on something or i rented it from somewhere somehow i got access to it and it was surprisingly easy to get it and i was just like immediately like blown away by it hell yeah and then i still have some blind spots in his body of work or whatever you want to say i haven't seen alps mm -hmm. but it has been interesting to see things from this sort of vibe get into other movies or him move away from it or whatever sure he's amazing i'm really i mean the last thing i saw of his was that short film he did nimic with matt dillon and i was like yeah man this rules i'm excited for what's next hey, I need to watch that. everything he's done yeah it's great it's on youtube yeah. so uh check that out for sure cool. And this movie, I mean, there's so much going on with it. We've already talked about a ton of themes, but it also questions like the cause and effect. Like I said, it, were they dysfunctional and that made them retreat or did the retreat into themselves cause their dysfunction, which plays into the xenophobia as well. Inside the house, you are protected, he says, but the children's lack of agency and the family's de-evolution and collapse comes because of their isolation. There's no love or trust to act as the glue. Yeah, it's also funny. It's like, I when I was watching it, I think the first couple of times I watched this movie, I'm just like, oh my god, this is so crazy, and 
you know, it's entertaining and you're on the edge of your seat in some moments. And also it's like titillating too, like, which is like fucked up because it's, um, you know, they're it's fucking incest, I guess. But it's like, there's part of it where I'm like, what happened to the dad? Like when the dad was growing up or like what happened to the dad? Or like, was there an older kid? Like, was there really an older brother? There's like this fake older Great brother. Question. Like that maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe they, maybe it was a miscarriage or a terrible tragedy or something. And they're kind of like this shared psychosis delusion. And in response to that, maybe some of the kids remember, maybe some of them don't. But it's funny. I was like, maybe it'd be like a prequel or a sequel or something. But I'm like, there's so much more. There's obviously more going on. The way it ends is kind of a cliffhanger thing, too. Yeah. But but yeah, definitely that sort of like what came first, the the fucked upness or is it like, is this all because the dad or like and the mom goes along with it, too. And, and it's right. kind of funny. It's like. The kids, you know, they we call them kids, but they're, you know, they're they're all they're all, I think they're all adults. Young, yeah, young adults for and, sure. And so it's like there's the one scene where they can tell that they don't know what a phone is, but the mom's right. on the phone in the room, and the uh, the ones just like, oh, are you worried about mom talking to herself in her room? And she's like, no, I'm not worried about it. So she either knows kind of what's going on, or like I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Just if, it, it it could definitely. But then the other thing, too, about why it's so good is that these things are unexplained. We're talking about it right now. You get to imagine your own thing or maybe even put your own thing from your own life in there. But it, it, there, it's like it's funny. I'm like, oh, this could be a whole this could be a series like we could see. Yeah. The mom, the dad, how they grew up, where the kids are now, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think the brother thing in particular is a really interesting thread to pull on. You know, when I was watching it, I was like, does this guy exist or is he just a morality tale? And when you start thinking about like, well, why are they like this? Then you start thinking, oh, maybe the brother did exist and he went out on his own before he was ready or whatever, ran away from home. And then they're they're saying, well, now we need to pull tighter to make sure that this doesn't happen to one of our other children. It's just... The open-endedness of it is exciting, I think. Mm-hmm. He does such a great job of giving you just enough to sort of tease you. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's funny, too. Like, the thing that I really liked rewatching it was their little, the mom and the dad's, like, little schemes. And it's kind of funny because, it's in, in a way, it's, it's a fucked-up relationship, but it's a very strong relationship. <laughs> so it's like mm-hmm. yeah. the fact that they, you know, do this thing where it's like, oh, they see an airplane. And it's interesting, too, that they... Like, why don't they call that a bird? Why don't they say that that's like an animal or something? But no, the, an airplane is an airplane. And then the mom, you know, off to the, she's like hidden, but she like throws a toy airplane. Oh and then God, sometimes so it's like, oh, the airplane fell. And it's just like so wild. Uh, I want to know, like, yeah, why is a salt shake or something you changed the word of? Why the juice or whatever? Yeah, there are things where it's like, they taught them correctly yeah. and what is the differentiator yeah, yeah. like the, the homework problems that they gave them seem to be correct they are taught the correct way to do cpr mm-hmm. true so many things that are are just like why was salt <laughs> the thing that you were like they can't know what yeah, salt yeah, is exactly. Weird. <laughs> the movie was made for a 250,000 euro budget which accounting for the historical conversion rate was about 360,000 US dollars and then it made 1.4 million US dollars. Mm-hmm. So it was a success. Cool. Hooray. Yeah. 
It also won the Certain Regard Prize at Cannes, historically intended to showcase atypical cinema, so mission accomplished, I'd yeah, say. big time. Also nominated for the Best Foreign Language Film at the Academy Awards, which was, a, which was a huge coup for the Greek film industry. The whole country was stoked. In fact, I normally quote a film critic review for this part, but instead I'm going to quote Greek Prime Minister George Papandreou, <laughs> who, after hearing the news, ended a cabinet meeting by saying, This goes far beyond the world of cinema, arts, and culture. It concerns the whole country it's people the new generation of artists who follow the motto yes we can do it during difficult times i won't say that the news shows that miracles happen because the success of yorgos lanthimos is based on hard work talent and his endless potential features that characterize the creative forces which lead greece to a new era forces which deserve our support and they will have it bravo yorgos yeah. and i say bravo yorgos as yeah, well that's a great that, that's i do i do remember hearing about that too about it being like greece as a country taking pride of it it's so funny because it's such a fucked up movie but <laughs> 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 like, yeah that's us uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. and like you said it is like criticizing the government and there are elements of criticizing the church like i totally. said as well so for them to be like hell yeah <laughs> look at this <laughs> i love that though i mean it's so i think that's so much more interesting than to say that something is good or bad To to champion something just as a piece of art is, again, it's just not the way things are done here. Like everything Mm -hmm. here is purely based on like who's in it, what did it make a splash, did it make money? Like that's basically all it is here. You know, most people don't know who wrote a movie. Most people don't, they don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. So I kind of just want to read more about that time because. I do remember it was like, what they call it? There's like all this austerity stuff in Greece where it's like yeah. just basically everything was just getting like shut down. So yeah, that is really cool. And it's cool that the head of the government like shouted, <laughs> shouted them out for pulling <laughs> something off. That's cool. Yeah. It is cool. It is also a really interesting time. You know, that organization I mentioned before, the Filmmakers in the Fog, uh, it seems like there was some, like, big conflict going on between, like, two of the, like, major players in film production and directing in Greece, and the two organizations were, like, coming to a head, but also just kind of, like, carrying out their petty squabbles. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of interesting stuff happening in Greece around 2009, it seems like. Now, as we move into the actual movie, it is kind of hard to discuss plot-wise, because as mentioned before, it's by necessity pretty stripped down and reduces the scope of the narrative to just, like, the house and the people inside the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But a voice on the tape says that they're going to teach us some new words. Sea, motorway, excursion, and carbine. A sea is a leather armchair with wooden arms like the one in our living room. A motorway is a very strong wind. An excursion is a resistant material used to build the floor. (laughs) And a carbine is a beautiful white bird. And right away, this mix is worth examining to me as a blend of absurdist versus poetic. In that, like, I think if you put yourself in a certain frame of mind you might see a big leather armchair as the sea or a motorway as a strong wind blowing people along or a gun as looking like a bird. And I think it does create a confusion on our part that is immediately tense, especially when contrasted with the passive nature of the three young adult siblings who are sitting there. Like this doesn't seem at all like something that they're reacting like, well, that's not correct or anything. So to us, we're saying, well, is that correct in some way? Is Can I make a link between this definition and the word that they're giving them? I think that's such a cool way to start the movie. Well, it's interesting, too, like, just kind of hear, hearing you talk about that, which is all spot on. It's like when you're – how do I explain this? There's something that's like – it's like a very fucked up episode of Mr. Rogers or Sesame Street – 
or whatever <laughs> with the teaching. It, it's pedagogical. I don't know. I'm sure not. Ped, ped, whatever. Yeah. Ped, pedagogical. <laughs> pedagogical. I think. Yeah. Who knows? Um, Who knows? You know what we're fucking yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to say. <laughs> um, another another confusing Greek word. But yeah, it's interesting because when you're a kid and you're like in kindergarten, you're definitely not thinking that poetically. You're just saying like, right. oh, a carbine is a small bird. Like, okay, now I know what that is. And <laughs> yeah. so sort of the, the tension is, or maybe it's the dramatic irony or whatever it is, is that the kids, and even though they are obviously maturing, and that's like a kind of a subplot of the movie is dealing with that maturation, they are children in their minds, and we're not. Yeah. So when we watch it and we hear this thing, we're like, wait, what the fuck is going on? Like, there is, this is bad. (laughs) Something is wrong here. But to them, it's just like, you know, maybe every day starts with these little, these are the words of the day or whatever. thought it was also interesting, the choices of the words. The sea is like a vast, unknowable thing. People use it to get away or to travel. A motorway, you obviously use that to go places, to leave. Yeah. And then an excursion is literally... A journey, a sure. journey, and then a carbine. It's so funny because it's like all those are poetic and and um, and beautiful and speak to the movie. And the carbine is the violence, like that's like yeah. that's like the uh, the rod or whatever you want to say. It also says something too because even if they are trying to obscure these words or whatever, it also speaks to whoever made the tape. It speaks like yeah. these words are undermined. So in a way, it's like we're coming through the back door on it but it's like okay this is what the dad is concerned with this is what they're trying to avoid that's a really great point and this is just working off of that it also creates kind of that same contrast because as much as like a motorway and the sea are these symbols of hope and and great journeys and stuff they also can be like a border or a barrier Mm -hmm. you know it's something that can be impossible to cross unless you have the correct tools and the the resources at your disposal to make that journey and so i think that it do, it is it kind of working on both levels in a really interesting way and not to get too greek about it but it's like the odyssey a journey can be both a beautiful thing that can take you away from something terrible it can also be a, <laughs> a terrible time in and of itself which yeah, I think, which I think there that we're kind of seeing that here in this thing too, where it's like maybe everything was hunky dory right up until this point, and then we're just seeing things kind of fall apart. But most likely not. Most likely there have been yeah. other things that that went down with this family that were really weird or really upsetting or really traumatic. That um, you know, just kind of reset and go back into it. Yeah, I think one of those things is like, as we'll see, they are paying someone to have sex with the son. Right. What, what led to that being the case? Maybe he started like trying to escape yeah. because he was having sexual drives or whatever. It is just interesting to conjure up what might have happened in this family previously. Like you said, it could really have been a whole series. It's funny too, it's because I didn't necessarily go up one of these houses, but. A lot of times you hear about parents, <laughs> excuse me, that are like, oh, well, you know, even if you're not of age to drink, you can have a little bit of wine at dinner or like you can drink in the house. So you're here and you can kind of yeah. get a handle of it. And, you know, it's like maybe some people would say those parents are being too cool. So people maybe would say that's the right thing to do. But this is like the most absurd, blown out version of that. It's like, well, if you're having these sexual urges, I 
let's do it under the under my roof and my supervision and we'll use this lady yeah. that works at the it's just like okay what the fuck but it's kind of like if other things are different i can see this being like hey dad that's a really cool move <laughs> you know <laughs> but the, as it is it's sort of like oh my god sure, he could be the eugene levy of american <laughs> absolutely. pie <laughs> absolutely yes <laughs> that's a funny that's a funny the american version of dog tooth is basically just like a, a sex romp comedy yeah <laughs> I also think it's funny that after they just like ignore this words of the day snafu that there's the wrong definitions, uh, they just don't react until finally the younger woman says to her brother and sister there, hey, let's play a game of endurance where we all stick our fingers under a hot running tap and see who can last the longest. I do also want to point out that the elder sister is sitting with her back to the mirror, which does feel symbolically relevant. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this too. Obviously, the game of endurance thing makes sense because that's what they're doing. The, this whole mm-hmm. their whole existence is a game of endurance, basically. Right. And also, it's interesting that even though they live in this very controlled, managed environment compound, they're still having their imagination and they're still coming up with their own games. And so it's yeah. like it's sort of this is going to go badly at some point. Something that <laughs> if it's endurance, someone's going to snap. Someone's not going to be able yeah. to endure, and it's going to get nasty. So. It's kind of like a Chekhov's gun or something situation, but yeah. Absolutely. I also think it's funny that it immediately gets bogged down in red tape. They all have to agree that they're interested. Then they argue about the rules when it couldn't be more simple, and they get hung up on naming it. And at first I was like, oh, this game is kind of weird. But then I, I really thought about it, and I was like, I could see myself as a very young man doing something like this. And so maybe it's less weird that it exists at all, but more like they seem old for that yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 totally. Which does play into that state of arrested development that you were talking totally. about. Totally, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that they're probably all like 18 to 23 or 22 yeah. or something, which that is sort of, I, I would imagine in, in Greece too, that's sort of the time where you do really kind of go off on your own if you hadn't already at least yeah so that's sort of that's symbolic all of their all of these children should be gone should be living their own lives and so it's sort of like you know it's also just kind of like a commentary on family just in general Mm -hmm. where it's just like best laid plans you can give your children a great life or whatever you think that is but at a certain point you can't control the world you can't control other people even if you've done it for a while yeah i saw one thought uh, about how especially with the debt crisis happening but you know we've seen it all over the world not just in greece that people are staying at home longer mm-hmm, and longer mm-hmm. and that the financial insecurity plays a huge part in that and so this idea of that stifling the 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 lives of these children because they're forced to stay under their parents' houses and and exist in that dynamic instead of spreading their wings, uh, I think is something interesting to contemplate in, in just the way that it's these ch- children are older. Totally, yeah, yeah, they got to grow up. But uh, you know, that's also yeah, that speaks to the situation in the country too, in their country too. Right, and then you know, it's not like America was doing so great either at that time uh sort of global yeah it's sort of like a, a meta com or a big a, a big commentary on like is any of this stuff sustainable you know is it possible to have the really nice house and the that's away from the city and the and the troubles and the pool and and three right. uh, you know a family of three and there's also one thing too where it's like they're kind of talking about i think it's just it's really like a conversation between the mom and the dad where it's like 
we're running out of beef or something like that. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, of course, the, this is like, you know, they're going to Costco or whatever the version of Costco is and they're <laughs> buying. Like, it's like, it's kind of, kind of funny, too. Like, when I first saw it, I don't think this stuff was as prevalent. But I watched it this time and I'm like, oh, this reminds me a lot of like doomsday preppers. Yeah. Just this whole like weird you know, they're basically in a, in a above ground bunker. Yeah. Yeah. We see them removing the labels, but we miss them putting on Kirk tooth. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the next scene is this sex scene that I was talking about. A blindfolded security woman named Christina is being escorted to the house by the father where she has clinical silent sex with the son. And this perfunctory sex is another early look into sort of how detached from emotion these kids are you know it's not just that she's not into it but also he seems to be barely interested Mm -hmm. in a way that is kind of unsettling yeah it's weird i also kind of think about like okay well i guess if it's your like you know your first time maybe you really don't know what's going on but um yeah pretty stilted and then it was also always there was those scenes but then the security guard she also kind of interacts with the oldest daughter and then the daughters and a lot of it is playing house like you know that's a thing that like they're always playing doctor they're always doing the cpr thing they're always like like oh my appendix hurts she's reading she's a reading textbook, textbook. <laughs> yeah again it's like all these things that are like well it's normal when like you know you're nine or eight or whatever to do this stuff not so normal when you're 19 or 20 or 21 right and they're disconnected from emotion too you know when they're playing doctor so to speak they don't really have any concept of like erogenous right right she's like lick my shoulder yeah 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 (laughs) after christina has this sex with him she goes to chat with the elder daughter like you said who is jealous of her bejeweled headband and reveals that she used to have a brown headband but bartered it to to her sister for a pair of socks and two big rubber erasers so there is the a hierarchy and trade Mm -hmm, happening mm -hmm. between these uh, right exactly and we also see that she's being paid for this when uh, she gets brought back home blindfolded and gets handed a wad of cash by the father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, that was just so interesting, too, that he, I don't know, that, that was part of it that was kind of hard to wrap my head around because it seems a little messy for his character to mm-hmm. be doing this so close to, I mean, yes, he's blindfolding her so she doesn't know, but it's his place of work and he looks like, I don't know if he's like the owner of this company or, or manager of this factory or what, but he's wearing a suit and a tie. He's going upstairs. He's not working on the floor. It seemed that to me was, I was a little like, Oh, why wouldn't you just get like a prostitute or, you know, <laughs> someone that's not, has no relation to you. But then again, I think that's also just like the center cannot hold on this stuff. Yeah. I also wonder too, though, if that he's like, well, I don't want to bring that element into my house that like, oh, she works for me. She must be uh, yeah, a good that's one. That's a good point. There's a scene of the daughter like screaming and cutting off pieces of her Barbie. Mm-hmm. That's really fucked mm-hmm. up. <laughs> yeah. And the way she, it's like a weird, like very high pitched, like, like scream. Um, and they do it. Yeah. They do it multiple times too. Oh, it's when the girls are watching the brother go after the cat in the garden. Right. So it's another, this like high pitched, very like, toddler almost like uh, again probably just rest of development shit yeah they all get dressed up for dinner we see the formality and fastidiousness that the father demands when they tell them that they're low on supplies this is also where they get the telephone salt mix Mm -hmm. up here it would also appear that there's a sticker based merit system in place right right (laughs) 
And that the victory, the Sun's victory means he gets to choose the Knight's entertainment. And this hyper-competitiveness is really interesting in terms of, like, that patriarchal society that this is clearly propping up from the father and, and his total fascistic control. This idea of you have to earn everything, this this creating hard people and, and that competitiveness is sort of toxic and self-destructive in a way that breeds that self-destructive games that they're playing as well. It's also funny, too, that, yeah, it's like, oh, the brother has 70 stickers and 50 and 30 or whatever, and I'm like, what are these kids going to do if the dad dies or the mom, like, try to buy, go to the store with stickers? Like, what, you know, like, just like, what the fuck, man? They also, I mean, it's so thrown away like he's like well he's doing really great but the next one's worth 10 so it'll be really yeah yeah, yeah. it's like oh okay this is bullshit you're making it up as you go totally along. yeah it's like the house is always gonna win or whatever they watch a video as the entertainment and they're just home videos like the one they recorded earlier and clearly it is their only form of entertainment because they've got it memorized they're all mouthing along mm-hmm. and the next day the son washes the car then brags about his skill at it to a bunch of trees at the fence then starts throwing some rocks over and when his parents notice his testing of the boundaries here he gets punished for it by holding mouthwash in his mouth for a while and he says that his brother over there started it and this is where the first sort of idea of this brother existing comes into play Mm -hmm. it is interesting to think of as like him pushing against the boundaries of the house and then blaming it on this external force and they they know that there was no one throwing rocks over right, right, at him. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's just a really interesting moment. And it's another thing, too, where it's like thinking about, like, child developmental psychology or whatever. It's like he has an imaginary friend. Yeah. It's incredibly common. I don't know. I, I, and I'm i sure it's pretty common, too, to be like, oh, yeah, like, like pretend you have a, another a brother or, or whatever. I, I can see there, too, being a thing where it's like, oh, there's two girls. So the girls kind of have, like, a little playmate. And the boy maybe ha- feels like maybe he's on his own. Mm-hmm. Especially because of that competition between them. Totally. You know, it, it can be hard for him to open up to them. Totally, yeah. The father leaves for the day. We see Christina again. This is where we learn that she's working at the gate. He's also lying to people about his personal life, saying that uh, his wife had a personal tragedy that left her in a wheelchair and she doesn't like visitors. Mm-hmm. They play another game. They chloroform themselves, uh, see who wakes up first. That seems really dangerous, especially when one of them falls asleep with it mm-hmm. on her face mm-hmm. still. <laughs> it also makes me think, too, oh, wow, the mom really, we, you don't really get the vibe as much because she's, like, you know, so close to the protector or whatever, but she's basically trapped, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he takes the car. So she's there, and I guess her role is to, like, make sure they... They don't die or whatever. Right. Warden. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't really think about that until just now. Yeah. As much as she is helping to perpetuate this on the kids, she is as mu- a victim as well. You know, she's trapped in there. Totally. Totally. This is when the father goes to collect his dog from the dog trainer. And of course, like you said, this really can be applied to his own life as well. The trainer says dogs, a.k.a. kids, <laughs> are like clay and it's our job to mold them. Can't give it to you halfway through the training. It needs to be shown how to behave. Do we want an animal or a friend? Do we want a guard who respects us as masters and does what we say or no? And, you know, it really just being a parent is an overwhelming amount. of power. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny because it's like, I'm sure in his mind, he's thinking, oh, they're, you know, they need more molding. They need more molding. But now it's, there's too much. So they're fucked. <laughs> but, but, you know, they should have been, they should have been released into the wild and seen leather, let the training that they've been given kind of let them depend on it. Yeah. But again, that sort of is where I'm like, God, what happened to this guy? 
what was his situation going up? Was he did he have was he completely free, could do whatever he wanted, and this is his rebellion against that or some fucked up family shit? Obviously, it has to be something like that. But yeah, yeah, it is really cool. I also love that the dog doesn't listen to him when he calls yeah. its name. So you see this dysfunction that is present in his own house is present in his relationship with his dog as well. And it feels like there's an inevitability to his similar training going wrong. Father and mother have sex that night, but in another example of do as I say, not as I do, they listen to music to set the mood, but in secret on a cassette player. Mm -hmm. I think we get a really interesting scene next where the elder daughter sneaks some cake into her pockets and throws it over the fence while her brother watches, you know, we get to see that there's this compassion mm -hmm. that she feels for her brother over there, as opposed to the competitiveness that we saw from him that extended to the brother. You know, he talks about how much better he is at washing the car and he's throwing rocks instead of food. I think that the empathy that the elder daughter is showing here helps her to connect with the fly in the ointment that comes later. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I also just love that, like, it's a very, like, George Costanza move to take cake and put it in your pocket. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Travels really well, I hear. Yeah, yeah. Now, Christina comes home with the father again, and she tries to teach the son to give her oral sex, but he says that he prefers what they did last time, and she looks at him disgustedly, and then she gets on her hands and knees and I think this is obviously a comment on his lack of humanity, preferring to do it as an animal instead of being cognizant of his partner's needs. And this, along with the symbolically communicated conservative values of his father, to me, this is all kind of representative of the way that this quest for purity is destroying them from the inside and mm -hmm. killing their humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, we see how the analogy between them and the dog is pretty present. We see later on, we'll talk about how he treats them like dogs, they have to stand and bark at the border to protect the house and everything. They are treated like animals, and so it's no surprise that they're so disconnected from their emotions. Totally. So once she doesn't get this oral sex from the son, she goes into the elder daughter's room next and trades her the headband that she admired before for oral sex. And like we said, there's just there's no concept of this being like a sexual thing she doesn't right. know what that is and so she then in order to sort of like be like what was this about trades that same headband <laughs> to her sister uh, <laughs> in order to to get licked on the uh on the shoulder and it's interesting i think as well we talked about the adam and eve allegory or, or like the garden of eden there is sort of a radical innocence here. You know, they were unaware of their nakedness in the Garden mm -hmm, of Eden until mm -hmm. they ate the apple and were cursed with knowledge and shame. That doesn't really exist for these children. Right. Yeah. It's the, I mean, and you know, it's like the way that they are dressed a lot. It's like very like, what's the word? Asexual. It's like there's no like, and even like when she's just like the one daughter is like a lot of times just like wearing her underwear, but it doesn't feel like hot at all it's just mm -hmm. more of like you know when you're like when you're a kid and you're just wearing like a big t-shirt or like whatever like it's like there's no form to your body yeah it's very like um what's the word sublimated but as like we kind of always find out with all of that stuff you can't sublimate it forever there's again also if you want to go into like the animal thing animals have urges they're not thinking consciously about like expressing these urges they just act on them mm -hmm. whether it's hormonal or the the seasons or whatever something in their environment that puts them off and you know it feels like that's sort of a thing too with this movie it's like and the thing about the dog too like you'll be ready to leave when 
your dog tooth grows in or falls out or whatever it is. Right. Dog tooth isn't a real thing. You, we don't have a dog tooth. Um, <laughs> but they just lied and said one of them was or whatever. But that is also kind of funny because it speaks to that cycle. It speaks to some sort of innate natural rhythm, but it's not real. And so yeah. they've been given this sort of false pretense. But in reality, people have biological clocks. So it's like that stuff is going on inside of them. You know, there's mm. just no way it's not going to come out somehow. Definitely. And I think you talk about how they can sublimate and repress that stuff forever. I think we see that really vividly in the next scene where they're fighting over the toy plane and the elder daughter throws it through the fence, runs inside and grabs a knife and slashes open his arm. You know, they're lashing out like children, but with the intensity of an adult. Totally. I think that that also can even apply to the dog element of it as well. You know, you see these like small dog syndrome where people think it's funny and cute when a dog, like a smaller dog is yappy and jumping up at you. And that's the kind of behavior that gets curbed in a bigger dog. And so they typically are less well-trained when they're smaller, just because people think, Oh, it's cute. But that's the kind of behavior that you need to curb when, when they're smaller and younger so that they don't do things like grab a knife and cut open your arm. So the son asks the dad to go get the plane because they believe that you need to be in a car in order to safely cross the threshold, and that night also does climb into their bed like a baby. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the next day, the son finds the cat outside, and he does murder it out of fear, which is upsetting. Yeah, yeah very upsetting. <laughs> the dad pretends that he's been attacked and says that a creature like the one in the yard killed your brother. I'm going to teach you how to defend yourself in case they invade. And so they act like dogs, barking their dang heads off. Before having a funeral, they all throw flowers over the hedge mm-hmm. their dead brother, which I thought was funny. <laughs> I also think that this moment kind of exists as a mirror image of Life is Beautiful, the Roberto Benigni movie. In that movie, he spends the whole time taking like the terror of the Holocaust out of it for his son and protecting him from the idea that he's in the Holocaust. And... Here, the parent is infusing the simplicity of a cat got into the yard with the terror of losing a brother and almost your father. Totally, yeah. Like, that was sort of the, we were talking about that earlier, like, he's on the phone with the mom figuring out what to do. He goes, oh, this will be an opportunity. It's like, God, like, yeah, it's just this very, and that's kind of why I also do think this does fall into, like, a more of a horror thing or yeah. the psychological thriller or something sure, that's a subgenre that's but, horror yeah but like just in the fact that he's so fucked up where he like sees this as the sort of like first instinct is to make it even worse <laughs> is to make it even more insane yeah the kids practice cpr and swimming technique while the parents watch porn and hang out on the couch with their junk out lazily discussing their plans for their next huge lie to the kids which is that she's pregnant with twins and uh, I thought there was also an interesting echo of the beginning where we see sort of the cycles of abuse and how they manifest that they have clearly also they're caught in the bureaucracy of it where they're like well maybe it should be three and and maybe it should be uh, a dog is involved (laughs) and all this stuff the same way that they were arguing about the rules of the finger under the hot water game Absolutely. Their father comes out to check on them in the pool, and they have a breath-holding contest, and this is when he also tells them that their mom is going to give birth to a dog in addition to the Mm -hmm. twins, and someone is going to have to share space unless we see some improvement in your behavior, children. Mm. (laughs) It's also funny, too, because it's like, I mean, I guess they 
you know, she did just like cut the brother and stuff. But it's like they're, they're, they're it's just so funny and fucked up. They're like they're they're just kids, and then I'm like, yeah. no, they're not. <laughs> they're twenty. <laughs> the plane falls in the garden. Big finger quotes, and. It's so funny to me to see the mom like hustle out and be like, "Here I go!" Yeah, and she chucks the plane. Yeah, the old uh, the old razzle dazzle, you know, <laughs> put on the show. She gives it all that she's got, mm-hmm. and the elder sister does get the plane. And I did think that there was an interesting moment of, you know, we talked about how they have this innocence between them, but they do also seem to be very lonely. You know, the daughters lick a lot closer to sexual organs during this second experimentation here and for no presence at all. Right. So it's funny that she's like so close to getting oral sex, right? Like she's kind of like on her thighs and stuff, but the elder daughter can't or won't speak up and i think that that is interesting in a sad like way that this daughter do- can't verbalize her wants and needs because of what this family has done to her yeah totally and you know even if she could it would be fucked up and using the wrong word yeah. right yeah <laughs> yeah the father has no idea that something is fishy in denmark he's having a great time he sings a song <laughs> while the elder daughter clips his toenails And he also releases some fish into the pool and then pretends to be surprised when the daughter comes to tell him and catches them with a spear gun. I thought this was a funny scene when he Mm -hmm. waddles out there in his bathing suit and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of um, The Graduate when uh, he's like in the scuba outfit (laughs) in in the pool. Definitely. And that night at dinner, there is a ritualized discussion that reveals, yes, a child is ready to leave the house when the dog tooth comes out and can learn to drive when the tooth comes in again. Mm -hmm. And they point at their canines, so I guess uh, uh, as close to what a dog tooth would actually be. Mm -hmm. And this is where the the, uh, words having incorrect definitions really comes to a comedic head here, where they ask, Mom, what's a pussy? And she says that she saw it on the porn tape that got left out. And so the mom has to scramble, and she's like, it's a big light. And they all, like, look up at the light above them, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> and again, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> the dad, this is when he tries to distract them. He says, do you want to hear your grandfather sing? Like you said, he goes over to the record player and puts on Frank Sinatra, translating the lyrics to Fly Me to the Moon as this very basic sort of Hey, I love my father and mother, and we should all behave and stay at home. Well, it's funny, too, because Fly Me to the Moon is about going all over the galaxy and, you know, far exotic locales and everything. And then meanwhile, the the translation is, stay right here, don't go anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I also really love, this is a strange and I think kind of upsetting scene, to be honest. It really makes me feel like it's kind of similar to the blue velvet stuff. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but in it, one of the main, like the main villain really appreciates Roy Orbison Mm -hmm. and the song in dreams in particular. And that is counterposed with his extreme violence and perversity. Mm -hmm. And those happen in like one scene right after another. And in this one, the violence gets combined with the appreciation for art into one act they're now one and the same a classic tune is the damage being done mm-hmm. yeah i also just one little background thing that i really appreciated was the background of his father that's been developing in the background of the son's room yeah, <laughs> that was okay. really funny yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
And Christina tells him about a dream she had where he was a zombie. And he tells her about one where his mom fell in the pool. And I thought the zombie comparison was really interesting because they kind of are zombies. You know, their removal from the world has also removed their connection from their emotions. We saw this in the way they process sex and grief mm-hmm. that they they are sort of undead. They're existing without life. Right. Yeah. And it's also interesting to just thinking about how, like, as much as they're trying to control everything and what they can watch and everything, it's like you still can't control someone's dreams. Right. I mean, I guess there are some ways, but I think that's really interesting, too, where it's like, like the mind w- wants to rebel is trying to give its owner hints as to what is like happening in, in its own lives. Yeah. Yeah. Christina brought the daughter hair gel in exchange for more sex, but she doesn't like it. And their relationship comes to a head when she's mad that the headband was bullshit and the hair gel is dumb. Uh, and in the middle of threatening Christina about breaking their abusive relationship, she reveals that their name for vagina is keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> But she successfully extorts the tapes that Christina had taken out of the library. I really laughed when she's like, please give them back next week. Uh (laughs) She Uh has to return them. (laughs) (laughs) The son asks the mom what a zombie is. He pretends not to know where he heard it. And she thinks for a moment then says it's a small yellow flower. Obviously not from the context of the dream, but he smiles blithely and chugs an insane amount of juice. Christ, so much juice. There's a lot of, or maybe not a lot, but I noticed there's a scene with the dad too where he, it's before he goes into the fish. And he does he doesn't like, it's not super chugging, but he's like, wait a minute. And he finishes an entire glass in one thing. I'm like, what have we got? Yeah, why is, <laughs> why is that? Drinking the Kool-Aid, perhaps. Oh, yeah. The elder daughter has secretly watched the tapes. She hides it when the dad comes out. Uh, I couldn't sleep, she says. And he asks, would I let you come to any harm? Mm. Which, you know, this white lies theme is really coming into play here where you might think in some perverse way that he does love them. And he Mm -hmm. does think he's doing this for their own benefit. Mm -hmm. Turns out. The movie was fucking Rocky, baby. Philly's own. (laughs) There you go, yeah. Yeah, her impression is so funny. Yeah, she's fucking hyped. This is so interesting because you can see how despite his careful control, it was ultimately impossible to keep the outside from piercing the bubble. Phrases like zombie, sexual knowledge, Rocky... It really calls to mind the video nasties controversy in England and how that was subverted by copy cults. But it is funny to also have it just be like movies as inoffensive as Rocky. Like, that's an Academy Award winning movie. Yeah, Uh, perennial favorite. (laughs) Yeah. And the other movie's Jaws. Fuck yeah. (laughs) She recites it to them in the pool. Incredible that she's already got it memorized because she's so starved for entertainment and engagement. And she pretends to be a shark and attacks her brother in the pool, which is very funny. But the dad is pissed. He knows something's up now. And so she brings him the tape and he duct tapes them to his hand and he beats her over the head with it. And it is really fucked up and brutal and hard to watch, especially because we've talked about the way the camera really feels detached and like you're just an observer. You feel really helpless watching him beat the crap out of this girl in a very um, clinical way. Yeah, very upsetting. Yeah. The sisters establish secret names. Bruce and back. Uh-huh. 
And uh, I did think it was funny when they practice like turning and responding to their names. But also, this is like a big step of rebelliousness for Bruce. Sure. The dad visits Christina and, like we said, beats her too with the VCR player. And then he says, I hope your kids have bad influences and develop a bad personality, which brutal burn. Yeah. <laughs> it does obviously tie back into the original concept and the idea that falling outside the norm and not behaving is worse to the hyper conservative than actual violence. You know, the idea that she brought this outside knowledge and and is a lesbian was way worse to him than beating the shit out of her. Yeah, that's the thing is that, again, going back to the benevolent dictator thing, it's like, you're still a dictator. You're still abusive. You're still violent. So it's sort of like if he had that violence, that capability for violence in him from the beginning, which clearly he did, this is never going to work. You can't be, you just, you can't be the ultimate protector. You can't keep people safe if you're the source of, and also, I think a little bit of it is, you know, self-hatred. He's kind of having a conversation with himself because he literally brought her into the home. Like, he right. literally did the thing that he didn't want, like, other people to do. So I don't know if that's him, like, getting sloppy or old or whatever. Or, or again, just, like, it's untenable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for sure. The son's screaming wakes up the parents that night. He says that the younger daughter hit him with a hammer, and she's like... That's fucking crazy. It was a cat with a hammer that jumped out the window. <laughs> and then in order to maintain the lie, the father has to slap the son and say, "Didn't you? why didn't you take precautions? Uh-huh. The parents have a silent conversation in the kitchen while mom cries and dad belittles her. And she says, we need someone to replace Christina. And dad says no one else can enter the house. Yeah. So he's going to force one of the daughters to take on the role. And they're all so warped at this point that none of them really sees anything wrong with it when the dad makes the son choose one of them. Mm-hmm. He goes with the elder sister and she gets pampered by mom before they have sex. But again, it's very detached, no music or anything, just creaking and grunting. And as they lay there in the aftermath, she says... Do that again, bitch, and I'll rip your guts out. I swear on my daughter's life that you and your clan won't last long in this neighborhood. And first of all, very fun. Mm-hmm. But additionally, you know, it's not from a movie, despite sounding like it's from one, because she's using the new language that she's picked up and the new style to reframe her thinking. We just see how she is becoming changed from the inside. That's cool, too, because it kind of speaks to what you were talking about earlier, how the Greek filmmakers were taking influences from each other and creating this new kind of language that kind of like mimics that too. That yeah. Like immediately has been able to, it's funny, like they clearly like they memorize their own, their own home tape. So they like mouth along the words and then, yeah, like the fact that she can memorize and synthesize it to her own new thing is, is pretty um, impressive. And also a sign that like, she should have been gone long ago. Like, she's yeah. ready to go out and talk and everything. Definitely. You compare this to the son who goes, oh, mom, I found two little zombies, he says while mowing <laughs> the lawn. <laughs> so, so, yeah, still using the old language and, yeah. The elder daughter sneaks into the mom's room, checks the phone, which is something that she would have seen in the movies called a phone. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously true, true. made that connection that it isn't salt. <laughs> And this pure, this is kind of like a, a fulcrum for piercing the veil in a tangible way. Mm-hmm. That this is something that the movies have shown her is from the outside world. 
I also do think that this is a, a good place to mention that the poster can be read as kind of the disturbance each child feels from the baseline. When you look at it, the yellow is just a flat line. It's the sun. The red is the younger daughter who does feel some of the ripple effects of the elder daughter who is the blue line. And, uh, you know, as we see, she's fully engaged in this uh, act of rebellion now. Yeah, it's a cool little logo for sure. And it looks like a tooth as well. So yeah. yeah. It's our wedding anniversary, says the dad. And while dressing up together, the elder daughter tells the younger one that she thinks her dog tooth is moving and just adds to your point that, yeah, she's ready to go. And this is the power of movies, baby. <laughs> <laughs> The elder daughter does go wild to, during the dance that night to celebrate the anniversary. You know, the daughter, the younger daughter taps out and the elder starts doing the flash dance stuff. Mm-hmm. And the mom makes her stop. So she wolfs down some cake and then knocks out her dog tooth, which takes several hits. It's awful, brutal to watch. <laughs> and she's smiling. It's, yes, she's, she's thrilled. She's thrilled while she's doing it. Yeah, the, and the, the blood splatters are like, oh my God. It's so, again, this is where I'm like, this must be what people enjoy about watching horror movies. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, I'm just like, oh my god, it's like terrifying, but I can't look away. Yeah, she's got two dead teeth left as casualties there. Mm-hmm. But she, this is the first real display of emotion that we've seen from them. Is this mm-hmm. huge grin on her face? This also interestingly feels kind of like the Greek mythology of the Amazons who would maim themselves as well. They would cut off their breast in order to be able to shoot better. So this does feel like it's kind of playing into that as like symbolic. Mm. coming into her own using her own power kind of thing Mm -hmm. and she walks out into the garden and she gets into the trunk of the car and she waits and dad finds the broken off tooth and they run out to look for her they all go out barking and yelling the secret name bruce even using everything at their disposal Mm -hmm. but it all just results in this pathetic barking at the threshold that they're so confined by what they've been taught that they can't actually look anywhere Mm -hmm. i'll go get the dog tomorrow he tells his wife surely the training is done now while she cries and he just worries about the juice as he impotently tries to light a lighter again just this he can't actually do anything right and the brother and sister comfort each other and the next morning dad drives on out hell yeah perfect jailbreak but then it lingers on the trunk of the car and cuts to black before we know if she gets out for real. What an amazing open-ended conclusion. I love it. The silent credits really let you stew mm-hmm. in what you just watched and and what you think is going on next. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Again, I think that is one of the just like best parts of the movie is everything that's unsaid and unseen because this could be a movie that this movie could last for 30 hours. <laughs> it could just keep going and going. So at some point, you have to just cut it off. It's an endurance test in and of itself, in a way. Yeah. And now, Alan, we've reached the part of the episode where we sum up why this isn't just a good horror movie, but is, in fact, the best horror movie of all time. And I'm going to let you start. I mean, it did mobilize an entire country. That's pretty cool. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also sort of just like to the movie itself. You know, it's so funny. It's like, it, what what did you say? It was Greek weird or? Yeah, the Greek weird movement. Greek weird movement. I was like. It's awesome when you watch a movie and you're like, oh man, that was a great movie. But it's also awesome when you watch a movie and you're like, okay, I didn't know a movie could be like that and everything. So I think that is a lot of it for me is that it's just like so weird. It also is, I think I was like one of maybe like two people that I knew that liked this movie. A lot of people (laughs) hated it when it was, when it came out because it's so put off, you know, and I, I understand. But to me, like, I think the things that are, 
the violence is so it's it, like i guess that's another reason why i think it's so great too is because like there are parts of the movie i truly just don't like and they upset me and i still <laughs> come back to it as being like yeah but this is way out there for me so yeah i guess that's my argument Hell yeah. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because I think it is, like the Prime Minister of Greece was saying, a kind of a testament to what you can do when the restrictions are in place. You know, this movie is hamstrung by budget and yeah, by the environment. Like two, there's like two locations. Right. Basically, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. And all, all of these uh, environmental hazards and, and, and things that are that are wrong with the environment it's coming out to don't hold it back at all. And in fact, help to improve it by adding some context to what's happening. There are so many little layers to it that really invite you in. And so many of them kind of stem from just understanding where this movie comes out into. And I th I think that it's great. I think that it's great on just a layer of looking at it as an allegory for the Garden of Eden. You know, God Dad says hey, don't go out into the garden alone and definitely don't leave the garden. And then the interloper, the snake, Christina, mm -hmm. comes in and, and Eve, Eve eats the Bruce, <laughs> eats mm -hmm. the apple of knowledge, which is Rocky and Jaws. Mm -hmm. Amazing. <laughs> Gets cast out of a paradise that maybe wasn't so great in the first place. That maybe was just a very nice prison. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned many times, oh, this feels like this movie. Oh, it's, you know, Rocky and Jaws are involved in it. But movies... Are this 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 movie in particular are all about the way that you can get provided another point of view and that movies can really affect you. Mm -hmm. And in a way, art is meant to break through our walls and our regressive teachings that are, are put upon us, our, our garden walls that, that are put up around us. And it could be something as simple as Rocky or Jaws that puts you in a, a frame of mind to understand where someone else is coming from or provide a connection point with someone else. And I think that in a way, this movie is beautifully commenting on the simplicity of what movies can do for us. Would be very easy to be heavy handed in another filmmaker's hands, I think. Yeah, there's definitely like a way worse version of this movie. Yeah. Where, yeah, again, it's just like really beating you over the head and probably a lot more. Not that there aren't completely sensational moments in the movie, but they're they're tempered so well and it's such tension and it's like he's wrapping the thing around, which also is, I'm just realizing now, it's kind of like, and when you're boxing and Rocky, you know, like, oh, you know, shit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I could find all that shit. Hell yeah. It's, it's just amazing. And, and I'm stoked that it led to a great career for Yorgos. Cause I love, uh, love what he's doing. Yeah, me too. Yeah, for real. Hell yeah. And that's why it's the best horror movie ever made. Alan, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This was so much fun. Please tell the people where they can find you. Check out your comedy, all that jazz. I'm at totally Alan on Twitter. My website's com. I put my dates up there and shit. So, yeah. Hell yeah. Check them out. Very funny. As far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. That username applies pretty much everywhere, including Instagram and Letterboxd. But I'm mostly on Twitter. So, if you're looking for me, that's probably the place to do it. You can also check out the Patreon if you're really enjoying the show. Uh, for just a couple bucks a month, you get bonus episodes on other stuff that might not fit as squarely into Best Horror Movie Ever Made. Uh, we talked about Freaky Friday 2003 with Alana Johnston at one point. So, <laughs> you know terrifying to become a 13 year old again so much <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> so all kinds of fun stuff and thanks for having me man yeah this is really fun and you're like i said your your like analysis sort of you want to say is 
was really was really fun, really really smart. So great, great. Uh, Thank you very much. I hope we get some people to watch this weird fucking movie. Yeah, I'm sure that they will. And if our endorsement isn't enough, then I don't know what. I don't will know be. what to do. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Hoga. Sorry, Grace. All right, Alan. Thanks a lot, everyone. Bye. <laughs>